Zero. I didn't hear any something. Zero. Nope. I don't know if you, you know, you, you might be talking, but we ain't hearing you. Your lips were moving, nothing was happening. Oh, uh, zero. There we go. <clears throat> Put on my radio voice. <clears throat> Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. Needing another holiday? I'm Joe. I'm Tony, and I'm a holiday junkie. Look, no keyboard. I'm Norbert. A longtime Fedora user, Nishan. This is episode 372.5, recorded on Sunday, the 17th of October. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, Tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram or Discord or Facebook or post directly at mintcast.org. And finally, in the feedback and a couple of suggestions. This innards, we're going to be discussing Linux on tablets. And as you know, this is one of my favorite subjects. Um, if any of you are longtime listeners of the show, you know that I love being able to put Linux on tablets and use them as my daily drivers. Uh, they were my replacement to the old netbook series of laptops. Most people thought the netbooks were terrible, but I love the form factor and most of them could perform pretty well with Linux or if you were creative in how you use them. I was using netbooks until basically 32 bit death. But since they were becoming obsolete, I also had transitioned to the Asus Transformer line, usually the T100TA, which despite being a bit lower power was an absolutely epic device with a large Linux community following behind it and several well-written tutorials on how to get it running with Linux. The most interesting part of that was how you had to use a 32-bit EFI bootloader along with a 64-bit operating system in order to get the thing working. You also had to jump through some hoops with uh, Grub Rescue during that whole process, which was a great way to learn about the boot process and how it worked. And also there were a lot of issues that you had to work through to get audio working properly. So um, learning just about audio settings was also really interesting. Now, this did age out after a few years, though I ended up uh, getting several of them and giving them to my kids and one to my wife. Um, They were lower cost and they were super easy to fix. I mean, screen replacements were not difficult at all. Um, I loved the hard detachable keyboard that you could get with an external drive. I believe it was up to like um, 500 gig. And the the keyboard had a USB 3.0 port on it, which really made it useful. Now, a lot of your newer ones have the USB 3.0 port up by the screen, which is more useful. But back then, that was extremely uncommon, and you were having to use, like, OTG to get anything done. Um, after the string of transformers that I had, I switched to the Dell Venue line of tablets. They're good as well and still very usable and super easy to install Linux on without any of the major issues other than um, 
some interference with HDMI audio causing conflicts with other devices. Uh, once again, it did come with a hard keyboard, but instead of the hard drive this time, it had an extra battery. Uh, it doubles the time that you can use it on the go, which is really good considering that most Linux tablets burn through power a lot more quickly than uh, your Windows. Um, I use the 5130 and the 7130 and the 7140. Um, the 7130 was epic because it had an i5 processor and 8 gigabytes of RAM. Very usable devices even still, but does have a loud fan. And even with the extended battery, um, the one on the keyboard, the battery life still wasn't that great. Extremely usable, but not that great. Um, but this was one of the first tablets I had that had easily user replaceable hard drive and Wi-Fi card. That was one of the main reasons I got it was that I could replace the hard drive and I could replace that Wi-Fi card. So if the Wi-Fi card was not compatible with Linux, I could put in one that was just like with a laptop. And like the first one I got, um, it wasn't compatible. So I had to put in another one. Uh, the NGFF hard drive was super easy to get and I did have to replace. Yeah, I already talked about replacing the Wi-Fi card and, um, it, it, I just can't explain how awesome it is to be able to switch things out in a tablet like that. Uh, same with the 7140, which had the mobile processor, but super easy to replace hard drive, but no fan noise. And it runs about on par, about the same speed. Uh, there were some issues with sleep, but I got around that by using, um, what, hybrid sleep. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit about hybrid sleep here in a minute. But uh, I don't really suggest or recommend the 5130. It's an older device and has a lot of problems all on its own. I did end up turning the 7130 back into a Windows machine to give to my wife uh, to replace her transformer that was aging out even with Windows. Uh, but that was because I'd already moved on to the uh, Dell Latitude line. Now, the Dell Latitude 5290, I believe it is, also has an i5 and i7 version with 8 or 16 gigabytes of RAM. I think there's also an i3 version. Um, it's my current favorite tablet computer running Linux. Still has the easily replaceable hard drive and Wi-Fi card and um, a slot that is supposed to be used for a cellular modem, but can be repurposed to hold a second hard drive. I believe that's also NGFF. And yes, I have one. So there's an M.2, um, 22, uh, what, what is it, 2280? And then the NGFF is a 2232. Um, so currently I have two hard drives in there, both of them 256 gigs. Um, and also it has a micro SD card slot. Now, granted all the other ones did too, but I'm talking about it now because I also have a 128 gigabyte card in that uh, micro SD card slot. So I have quite a bit of storage on that tablet. Um, the only real negatives that I have for it are the lack of a hard keyboard and well, the battery life, but I'm still testing tweaks to the power management to make it last longer. Um, <clears throat> hybrid mode really, really helps. 
with battery life. Um, so it's not trying to go to sleep, which it can, you know, instantly wake back up from. Yes, it does have to boot back up after X amount of time, but it really does save on battery having it shut all the way down. And just a brief overview on how to do that is you have to, um, what is it? Um, you have to disable swap, increase your swap size to probably twice the size of your RAM and then re-enable the swap. And then um, Linux Mint allows you to force the hybrid mode to be recognized. And then that works perfect. It's quick. It doesn't take very long to reboot because it's an M.2. And it really, really does save on battery life. Now, as for operating system, the Latitude is extremely plug and play with any distro you want to put on it without any of the extra config um, that had to go into the transformer or the venue. Um, I would say I tend to use Mint the most on the tablets, but I've also tried Fedora, Ubuntu, Garuda, and also MX on tablets. Although the MX I did on an extremely old um, Toshiba tablet. I can't even remember which which one it was, but that was last year year before and mx worked really well on it and that was limited to 32-bit which is why i was running mx uh fedora is really my backup in case i get tired of mint but garuda was darn good too um i still have garuda on that 7140 and i still use it on occasion i was not a fan of stock ubuntu on any of my devices but that probably has to do more with GNOME 3 as opposed to GNOME 40. Um, all the later devices that I've mentioned, super easy initial install and marginal to no special setup for Linux. So I have a question. Oh, um, please, please. Was it was the Latitude uh, Ubuntu certified? Like Because most of the Latitude 2 and 1s are certified by Canonical for use for Linux. Um, when I got them, um, they, cause I have two of them. Um, one of them I had to do a complete motherboard replacement with when I got them, they didn't have hard drives in them, but I'm assuming that they were originally running windows. Okay. Can you please help me with the model number so I can just Google it and have a look? Uh, that should be the Dell Latitude. I have it. I said it just a minute ago. Uh, I believe it's a 5290. Let me double check. Dell Latitude 5290. Yeah, Dell Latitude 5290. And which ones of the which ones of the transformers were you using? Because I actually owned the uh, very first transformer back in the day. I that would be. But that, that, that's an Android one, so I would assume the Windows ones are easier to convert to than the Android ones. T100TA. And I still have like two or three of them floating around. Um, some of them with broken screens. The one I just fixed the port on and a bunch of keyboards sitting around. A couple of them even have the, um, 500 gigabytes uh, hard drive in them. But yeah. Which tablet had you had the best experience with so far? Really the latitudes, but there's a major difference in price. Normally I wouldn't recommend the latitudes simply because of the price. Even in the used market, you're, you're looking in the three to $400 range. And I usually like to stick in that $100 range. So it might be better 
to look at the um, st- still look at the venues, the seventy one thirty or the seventy one forty. I don't know much about the seventy one thirty nine. Do they come with a stylus included? The um, Dell Latitude does come with a stylus, but um, I got mine from the used market. It did come with the stylus. I replaced the batteries on the stylus and. Um, I still couldn't get it to work with Linux. I did not try it with Windows to see if it was actually an issue with the stylus or not. All right. Okay. Is the overall tablet market still declining? Because lately, I since phones have been getting bigger and bigger, I would, I've been feeling like people don't really tend to buy tablets anymore, now, which is a shame the, because I... The tablet market is shifting. I would not say that it's on the decline. Now, your Android tablets are definitely on the decline because Android just really isn't a good tablet operating system in most cases if you want to do any kind of actual like work on it or anything. If it's a toy, well, it the then, then it's fine. Yeah, It has well, it potential. The potential when, when Android 3 came out, it had a completely different layout from the phone ones. Then from Android 4, it just they just get got rid of it. And now you have the same layout and tablet in the phone. And I actually yeah. had two Samsung devices. They unified the design so it would be easier to code for tablets and phones. Yes, but then you then you lose a lot of yes, but then you lose a lot of functionality if you have the same UI on the bigger screen. And I actually had two Samsung devices die on me this year, not only my phone, but uh, after I went to university, I got a Samsung Galaxy Tab. Uh, it's the S2 or 2S. I think it's S2, the the 10-inch one, which I really liked because it had a 4 by 3 aspect ratio, which is really, ge- which re- it's really good for uh, reading uh, documents and PDFs and such, which you have to do a lot when in university, yeah. and, and if you don't want to print all of that out. So... It worked for more than five years. I would say five and a half years before it decided to die. And I'm pretty sure it's just the battery. So I might try to replace the battery. But right now, um, for now, I didn't want to buy a battery for just the hope that it might fix it. So after that, I was I really wanted to get a new, uh, another tablet. But then I got into Linux. So I didn't really feel like getting a new Android tablet at all. So I went on the used market and I decided to try the the Microsoft Surface Pro tablets. It's really interesting because despite it's a Microsoft device, it is a really good option for Linux. And it also has a a big community around it, much like the Transformer tablets. Um, My only problem really is the battery life because I think there's some proprietary uh, technology Microsoft is using in the battery, which Windows can handle well, but Linux really doesn't do much so it can go over five hours by watching a movie on windows but i could only get it up to three and a half hours on linux maybe getting it to somewhere around four hours uh and i'm actually using i'm actually running arch on it by the way uh i decided to do it because uh i wanted to ask you joe what desktop environments were using because from day one i decided to go with gnome because Right now, it's the it's the only one option that works out of the box, and you can use a tablet even without the cover, the keyboard, because GNOME has its. It's actually a very nice on on screen keyboard that pops up whenever you this. Uh, that probably has more to do with the additions that got added to it, because yeah, GNOME forty is great for a tablet. I I didn't really like uh, um, GNOME three point three nine 
or whichever one I was using at the time for the tablet. But um, like with when I was using Fedora on the tablet, I did have to manually set up the on-screen keyboard and uh, do some manual setup to get it to to rotate pop properly. But um, <clears throat> wait, are you talking about GNOME thirty-eight or forty? Uh, prob no thirty-eight. Mm-hmm. When I was using it, it was actually GNOME 40, but I was doing that with Garuda. And then, so there was some manual setup that I had to do. A lot of it has to do with all the periphery applications that are already installed or your how you set up GNOME. Mm-hmm. I decided to go with Arch mainly because of having GNOME 40. And there's also some specific software I want to use on my tablet that are pretty much only available on Arch, Debian, and Ubuntu at this point. And uh, Debian still doesn't have for uh, GNOME 4 on, on their stable release. I might try to move to Debian uh, Bookworm because uh, a couple of weeks ago it finally got GNOME 40. And for to be completely authentic, I'm actually recording this episode on my tablet. Is what yeah. I really wanted to say, but then I realized that it has Arch on it, by the way, which I on which I couldn't really get the my mute hotkey working and even Audacity. To work with my external mic, so I had to quickly reinstall Debian uh, Bullseye on the tablet today just to be able to record the show on it. So for this recording, I'm stuck with GNOME 38, and it's a good thing that those. Uh, I mean, GNOME 40 has really nice uh, touchpad gestures, which actually work just the same on the screen. So whenever I just want to read something or watch something, I would just detach the keyboard, and on GNOME 40. At least on Arch, I have to install IIO Sensor Proxy, a package tool for it to be able to auto-rotate. And I've tried a couple other these like XFC, and GNOME 40 is not only the nicest to use with the touchscreen, it also has the most seamless uh, rotation. It, uh, it rotates the screen far quicker and more seamlessly than other these. I have used the gestures from um, GNOME 40, and they are, I, I agree, they are really good. The three-finger swipe and all that to get things moving around. Um, but uh, I know, like, Leo had mentioned in the past really liking hot corners, and I hate hot corners on a tablet, because where do you pick a tablet up? And with bezels being as reduced as they are these days, you're almost guaranteed to be hitting that corner. So I, I don't use hot corners on a tablet. Well, thankfully, the bezels on this surface are really thick. Yeah. So, yeah. What is and the it's also Pro 3, which is a little older now? Well, it is older. I think the newest one is Pro 7 or Pro 8. And uh, the newer ones actually have uh, passive cooling. And up to Pro 4, they have an uh, active cooling. And it's another thing that I don't really like because it gets uh, really hot really quickly and it's uh, the the fan is quite loud. And uh, I have a friend who uh, has been dealing and with and uh, repairing Surface tablets for years now. And he said, if I wanted to get an older tablet, I should skip the Pro 4 and either go with the Pro 3 or Pro 5. So maybe in the future I will try to get a Pro 5 or Pro 6. Uh, I would... And the other the reason why I'm starting to look into ARM tablets that work well with Linux, which is I really want to have a tablet with passive cooling. It's just having an having a fan rotating very loudly, it's it's not a very nice experience with a tablet. Especially when you are trying to hold it and there's one side where the hot air comes out and you accidentally block it with your hand. Yeah, then I would recommend either the Dell Venue 7140 or the 
Dell, Latitude, any of them. What's most interesting with uh, these uh, tablets is, like I said, uh, there's a community on GitHub and on Reddit around uh, using Linux on a Surface tablet, and there are compatibility made uh, tables of each version that which hardware and uh, software features of the given tablet are working or not. And uh, there's actually they're actually maintaining a custom Linux kernel for, uh, specifically for Surface tablets. And I realized whether I use it or not, it doesn't really make a difference. There are some devices that have uh, various features, like, for example, the cameras only working on the Surface uh, kernel. But I think since this tablet came out, a lot of features, a lot of the features that are needed for it actually got in- integrated into the mainline kernel, which was really... Nice to see. I read that a big issue was uh, sleep, and um, I'm not talking about hybrid sleep, I'm talking about just uh, sleep mode, uh, suspend mode, because sometimes the the tablets wouldn't be able to wake up properly from sleep. But then I realized if I open the tablet up, open the cover, it doesn't wake up immediately, but if I then press the power button, it will wake up just perfectly. So I haven't really experimented with hybrid sleep or hibernation at all, I don't actually have swap configured at all. Even though it only has 4 gigs of RAM. I might I might try to look into. I don't actually use swap on any of my devices. Yeah, um, well, because most devices have larger amounts of RAM these days, there isn't a whole lot of need for swap. But if, with, if I had a 4 gig of RAM device... I would definitely have swap turned on, but that that's just me. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I've been monitoring RAM usage from time to time, and I guess I, I mainly use it for media consumption, like watching movies and videos. So I don't really think I ever had more than three gigs of RAM use. So I, I, is it okay as long as I don't fill up the RAM to not use swap? Absolutely. There, there's well, even if you do um, fill up the RAM, it's not a requirement to have swap. It'll still work. It'll just be slower. Yeah, you could also pick to have a swap file rather than uh, swap on your hard drive. Well, it would still be on the hard drive, but the swap file is dynamic. But it rather than a partition swap partition. I wouldn't really want to allocate 8 gigs of uh, RAM to for a swap partition because it doesn't only have uh, 4 gigs of RAM, it only has 128 gig uh, SSD in it. And uh, Surface tablets are notorious for being hard to disassemble and reassemble. So this friend of mine who was, I think, one of the biggest experts uh, in the country in Hungary with uh, Surface devices, I asked him whether it's whether it would be worth it to take it apart just to increase the hard, the storage, and he said no. It's really not because you have a high chance of breaking it <laughs> while you disassemble it. How big a uh, hard drive is it? Uh, I think it's an M.2 SSD. It, uh, it's 128, so it's not very big. Well, 128, I mean, dedicating 8, eight gigs of your 128 to swap so that you can use hybrid doesn't seem like, you know, that much of a loss. It's, it's, yeah, I, I guess you're right. Since, especially since I also got a 128 SD card because it is an SD card slot, which I guess it's becoming more and more a feature nowadays because they start to disappear. So in practice, I do have a 250 gigs of storage. I was just going to say, as far as swap goes, though, they do recommend you have at least a one gig, uh, swap file or, or, or swap partition. Just to give yourself a little bit of wriggle room, it does help with performance. 
So you can always go in and if you if you just let it pick the size, you can always go in with something like G parted later on a live disc and resize the swap partition to a smaller one. I will have to look into um, setting up a swap file. I have a friend who convinced me to to try Manjaro and later Arch, and uh, I think his when he moved to Linux, he's al- he's always been using a swap file. So I might have to ask him to set it up. Yeah, just give it a couple of gig. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I did want to also mention that I have the uh, Samsung Galaxy Tab 2. I have both the 8-inch and the 10-inch models because I picked them up um, in a lot where I was fixing tablets. 2 or S2? It's the Tab 2. I don't think it's the Tab S2. So it, they're older. And while you can't really update them the standard way anymore, you can go to XDA developers and get a modern operating system for them. And the screens are still gorgeous on them. The Tab 2 had a 16 by 10 resolu- uh, aspect ratio screen, but the Tab S2 had a, th- a 4 by 3, which is, I have to give credit to Apple because from day one, the iPad actually had a 4 by 3 screen and I had to realize that it's the best aspect ratio to have on a tablet because when you have a standard A4 uh, document in PDF on a 4 by 3 screen, you can get, uh, when you operate on a 4 by 3 screen, you can get uh, much better use of the screen real estate than on a 16 by 10 or even a 3 by 2 screen. Yeah, I'll I'll talk about Apple in a few minutes and and my hopes for that. I might have to start distro-hopping on this tablet because my the main reason I've been sticking with Arch is having GNOME 40 and also some other programs I, I want to use on it. But uh, now that Ubuntu finally got GNOME 40 and so did Debian, uh, maybe I have to try. Now, Cinnamon, you might have to increase some sizes, but I, I still like Cinnamon on a tablet. One of my biggest complaints I haven't even told, uh, talked about yet. I really want to stick uh, to using Wayland on this tablet. Because uh, after I started using uh, my laptop, which also has a touchscreen, I quickly realized that Wayland is just a much better experience on a touchscreen. For example, if I want to tile a drag a window to the edge of the screen to tile it to the that part of the window uh, of the screen, I, if you use a mouse, it's, it's it's the same on Wayland and X. But if I try to do the same with my finger right now, I'm trying to do it. I guess it won't land it because it's a browser. But for example, if I want to tile a, a file manager, I can just drag it to the edge of the screen and it will tile. But if I'm using X the edge of the window actually gets, it bumps into the edge of the screen and I, you cannot tile anything to the edge, to the, that side of the screen. So that's why I've been sticking with GNOME and Sway in particular. I also tried the uh, Plasma, but for some reason, Plasma doesn't have a pre-configured uh, on-screen keyboard. Of course, Sway doesn't have either. That's why but the main one I've been using is GNOME. One other thing is, uh, Sway, has, Sway seems to have a better touchscreen integration overall because when I tried Plasma, I tried both X and Wayland, and uh, when I would use a touchscreen, it on X it wouldn't hide the cursor, it would just move the cursor to where I tap the screen. But when I logged into this Plasma Wayland session, whenever I start using uh, the mouse or the touchpad, it would show the cursor. But I, when I would start to use this, the touchscreen, wherever I tap, it would just hide the cursor 
altogether. And uh, Gnome actually does the same uh, on both X and Wayland. But uh, many of the other Ds on X, for example, Cinnamon and XFC, they don't do this. It seems like a very basic fu- basic functionality for me to to have the cursor hidden when you use a touch screen. I tried to use it on XFC, but the best uh, solution I could find is just uh, setting the cursor to auto-hide after one millisecond of it not being used, which is not the perfect solution because you can still see the cursor whenever you tap the screen for a brief moment. Okay, Tony, you had something you wanted to add? Uh, yeah, just just to say when we first decided on this topic, I'd kind of forgotten, but back in the day... Uh, oh, seven, eight years ago, I managed to pick up a Lenovo X200 tablet, which is round about the same era as the uh, the old netbooks. Came out uh, late uh, 2009. Uh, Core i2, uh, Core i2, uh, a Core2 two, um, 2 gig processor Dual. with 4 gig of RAM. And uh, it, was a ni- it was a nice little machine, very heavy. You know, not like the modern ones that are dead light. This was a full laptop with a swivel screen that folded back on itself. But it did is have... It the... a... Go on. Sorry to interrupt. Is it the Lenovo Yoga X200? No, no, no. This is an X200. The the X series of laptops, they made, they made some of them into tablets as well with a screen. So this is a... We're now talking 12 years ago, a 12-year-old laptop these days. I do still have it. This is a convertible. Yeah, I do have it in the cupboard somewhere. I might dig it out and uh, flash it up when we go home next week. Absolutely. Just to have a look, see what, maybe put something like uh, Endeavor on it and see how lightweight uh, I can get it running. But uh, they they weren't too bad. They came with an integrated... uh, uh, graphics um stylus that you that slotted into the side of it was it a thinkpad x200 2 gb ram code to do yeah it? that's the one shouldn't it be ibm at that time no no it was back? lenovo yeah, they'd already changed to lenovo by then what was the year uh, joe october 2009 oh then it's fine because thinkpad always ibm comes into mind yeah no, no, um, ThinkPad went through into the Lenovo area. Uh, I had a number of them. Uh, my latest, the last one I had was an X230. Uh, that was a nice little Okay, that's, well. that's a nice little swivel screen. I just Googled the photo. Yeah. It's like on the hinge. Yeah, so but the, the only problem with them, they were really heavy, so they weren't easy to to hold in your hand and use the stylus. That was the thing, but... Linux Mint in the day worked really well on You know, I was quite impressed with well, it. Well, what do you expect? It's a ThinkPad. <laughs> <laughs> so while while we were talking, uh, I kind of remembered that, so I just thought I'd stick it in. So if anyone's still got one of them kicking around, maybe dig it out and see, see if it can still be used. Well, ThinkPad um, has some really good tablets these days as well. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the model numbers off the top of my head, but I've looked at a couple of them and they look nice. I, I did kind of want to add some uh, information here towards the end of the inner section about the future of tablets. I, I really think that um, a- as close as tablets are becoming to laptops or what laptops are now, 
that we're going to see a lot more of it and it's going to continue going forward. Now, I do not recommend trying to keep up with putting Linux on an Android tablet uh, base level, like raw um, on the hardware itself. Just it, it's not worth it because eventually the people that are maintaining the kernel are going to get bored with it and it's going to quit getting updates. So it's also extremely difficult to do, requires a lot of setup, and it's just not going to be a good overall experience. That's an Android tablet trying to convert it to Linux. Don't do it. Um, but Windows tablets, it's super easy these days. Any modern uh, Windows tablet is basically a laptop that's slimmer. So put Linux on it. It's probably going to work. Um, I have high hopes for the M1 processor because the M1 processor is supposed to be used in uh, both tablets and laptops for the Mac line of everything, essentially. The iPad already has the M1, I think. Yeah, we've already seen advancement in getting Linux on the M1, um, and we will see that more and more going forward. And as that happens with the laptops, it will also happen with the tablets. and. Say what you want about Mac, they're always going to have really, really excellent hardware and good screens. What about iMacs? When do you expect them to be updated to M1 specifically? I have no idea. Hasn't they already been? The new colorful iMacs. I think they are M1 already, no? Not yet. So yeah, going forward, um, yeah, we should see, you know, iPads where you can put Linux on them and it will run well. That's always been a problem in the past, but hopefully won't be a, a going forward. And uh, Clayton wanted me to mention uh, risk chips in the future as well. So any tablets that ends up running risk, hopefully that should be really easy to put um, Linux on as Linux is developed for I was talking risk. about those desktops which they had, the iMacs, which are currently running on Intel hardware. Oh. Um, when did the iMacs run? Like the current, uh, like it's been two, three years since they were updated. Hmm. I'm pretty sure somebody's probably ported Linux to it already, but I'm not sure. No, I was talking about M1, when they will move from Intel to the Apple oh, chips. Oh, um, Londoner is saying that the current 24-inch iMacs have M1 chips, so... Oh, okay, I might have fallen behind, because like yeah, six I don't months really ago... Keep up. Six months ago, I just went to the Apple's website and they were just Intel Mac, iMacs. The 18 to 20 inch screens, I think. Okay, that's fine. I hope they like make M1 available for these desktops also. I may yeah, consider well, the, one. The M1 or eventually probably the M2 or whatever. It's all going to basically go across their entire line. I mean, they want processors that they make and all their stuff, and that's completely understandable from their point of view. Uh, I, I can see why they would want to, um, so they're not dependent on anyone else for that happening. So, yeah, um, it will happen, and it'll happen across the board, and once it's more uniform, you will definitely see a lot more Linux there. The iPad is a very lockdown bad bootloader, though. Yeah. And... Really, that's, you know, I'm looking forward to the future of Linux on tablets. And that's really all I got. Anybody else have anything to add real quick? Real quick. 
uh, market share of Linux. Hopefully, it'll reach that magical figure of 19%. I'm sure it will, especially with the Steam Deck coming out and more things along the same lines. Also, the, the JingPad is an interesting project to keep an eye on. I think it will be able, you'll be able to put any, any disk you want on the JingPad. Next up is Vibrations from the Ether. Okay, who wants to take I'll this ta- first I'll take one? these first couple. Okay, so this is uh, from Simon. Hello. First, I just want to say thank you for the... Uh, and then I want to suggest you upload the MP3 file of each podcast episode in your Telegram channel after uploading it to your website the same day or a few days later. Listening to your podcast in Telegram is much easier for a lot of people who do not have access to cheap internet. Telegram works with low-speed internet very fast, and the play-pause system in Telegram application is really cool. Thanks again for everything. Best, Salmon. What do you think of that, Joe? Um, I think that's highly doable. We'll talk to the people doing the editing, and when they uh, upload the audio see if they want to also upload it to telegram i'm not sure how that works would it just be a link no you cannot you can actually bed audio files into telegram um i know uh, popey used to do uh, an audio series on telegram yeah and i know that um like archive.org where we store all of our shows also has um a, a player i'm pretty sure that um an app that can go on your phone, and they would use a lower speed internet as well. I don't know if that'll work for you, uh, Sarman. You should get try it out and, and tell us if that works. Or uh, I'll probably try it out right after the show and see how well it works. But I will talk to the people doing the editing. I believe it's going to be Bo this next week. And I think see it's more, more who posts it rather than who edits it. Okay, whoever's posting, we will talk to them and see if they can also put it up on telegram maybe in our second channel that's specifically for um whenever a new show comes out yeah that might be cool so we also got another email from Simon. uh i want to suggest if possible for you in one episode uh, in one of the episodes talk a little about lp lpic one exam so that's the linux prof- is it linux professional something certificate Linux Professional Institute Certification Examination. Uh, and what's the best way to practice for the exam and not forget the uh, the command options and small details? In real world, people can use man during the daily work, but not on the exam time. And also talk about how it is possible to get a job as a junior sysadmin, uh, as an entry-level uh, job how much someone needs to know Linux and my SQL. And then it ended and dot, dot, dot. So I don't know what happened there. Let me take a couple cracks at this. And then and then you can jump in, um, Nishant. Um, we did have something very similar um, to this. I, I was, was it was it Bo? Or I think was it was Bo, yeah. Who, who was going through one of the exams and went through everything that he was studying while he was studying it. And that gave him the opportunity to go over the material again. And that was our innards for four or five shows. 
Um, I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly which exam that was, but that would definitely be something to go back over because he had some really good information there. And I think that was a year and a half ago. Yeah, it'd be at least a year and a half ago, I would have thought. But um, I don't see why we couldn't do something like that again if somebody decides to take one of the tests. I'm always happy to go over that stuff again. I am. If you're going to go over the test, then we'll let you run some innards and um, until it gets boring and we split it up into do something else for a week and then jump back into it, that, that'll be perfectly fine. A minimum uh, certification required is Red Hat certified admin, system admin, the entry level certificate. What I have seen from job postings in my search for a sysadmin. Yeah, they say that, but really, if you have any kind of Linux experience, you can get that junior system admin entry level position. Um, as long as when you go into the interview, you actually know what you're talking about, um, and how to get the attention on your resume is to say the projects that you've done on your own, or you've been running Linux for X number of years, and then actually know things when they're questioning you. You would not believe the number of Linux experts that come in for interviews. And then I ask them simple questions like, Hey, Tell me about the uh, command line, and they know nothing. I was nothing. just going to say it might be different in different countries as well, Joe. So in America, you know, they don't necessarily always want paper qualifications. Like you say, they want experience and to, for you to actually know from experience what the job is. But in other countries, they may need that bit of paper before you can get a job. In India, it is written that it's good to have RHCSA certification, RHCSE certification, or really? LTIC one certification. Good to have. Like, otherwise, it's all knowledge based. If you can answer the interview, we'll select it. Kind of thing. If you're in America and you're you're reading a, a job posting and the requirements for it, if you meet like fifty percent of those requirements, apply. I mean the worst they can say is no or not call you back or whatever. Put in 10,000 different applications. Somebody's going to call you. If you know Linux, when they ask you questions about Linux, you'll be fine. Yeah. Can I just okay, say... One more? Sorry, one more I was question just gonna, I have. I was just going to say for Salmon, it may not apply, but I do know there is an awful lot of stuff about the LPC, uh, LPIC exams on YouTube. Obviously, Salmon, from his previous email, has obviously not got very good internet connection. So that might be more difficult for him. But for people with decent internet, there is an awful lot of information out there. REL as well. If you're taking the REL exam, YouTube has just tons and tons of classes on it. Go ahead, Nishant. REL is like very much demanding. I saw the question paper. It's like mostly practical. You need to be practical on it. The REL exams, which uh, I have a book by Michael Yang, the RHCSA and RHCSE. It's mostly setting up different things, networking, etc. It's more practical compared to theoretical. So which is good in a way. And uh, one more question. I hope distro hopping does not count as experience, does it? <laughs> <laughs> no, right? Uh, I mean, I have to be stable on Ubuntu 
or I have to be stable on Fedora for this many years. If you know how to navigate the terminal, if you know how to check space usage, how to use the find command, um, how to use uh, um, grep, awk, and sed, that will usually be enough to um, I- impress an interviewer. Grep, awk, sed, uh, head, tail, um, the base, the basics. DF. Okay. The, and what about shell scripting? Well, if you can do command line, you can do shell scripting. Oh, okay. That's all shell scripting is, is command line commands put into a file and then run. Basically automating all those single commands into one file, gathering them and then performing a function. Yep. Speaking of distro hopping, when people use a distro because of something not working on the specific distro, but instead of distro hopping, you decide to try to fix it on that distro, it might give you more experience rather than just trying it on a different distro. Correct. Shall we move on? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, uh, you want me to take this one real quick? Aye. From David, I was hoping you could point me in the direction of a segment that was covered fairly recently on the Mintcast podcast regarding a computer that was being unplugged by cleaning staff. I believe I am having a similar experience. Haven't had any luck finding it with keywords. Thanks, David. I don't remember this. No, I don't, actually. (laughs) I wondered if it was one that I missed. Well, I didn't miss any, and and, and I don't don't necessarily remember this. I wonder if he's getting his podcasts mixed up. (laughs) Uh, Quite possibly, because I vaguely remember it being talked about on uh, maybe the Ubuntu podcast? Eh, Possibly. A while ago, but um, it's, it's it's not surprising that the cleaning staff randomly unplugs things and plugs them back in. And you can even put big stickers over say, please do not unplug this. And they still do it. <laughs> yeah. At the university where I uh, study, at the Department of Genetics, there's a big sign that says, uh, at the Department of Genetics, it is strictly forbidden to, wait, what's the word? Extermination, to do extermination. Specifically insects and uh, rodents, because they use both insects and rodents in their experiments. And it, I guess it would be funny to one day go into the lab and the experiment is gone. It's been exterminated. <laughs> yeah. No, it wouldn't be funny. That, that'd yeah. be violent. Uh, a couple of years of your life just flushed. All right. I think I'm going to take this one too. Uh, from Dylan. Hello, Midcast crew. As always, I wanted to thank you for the excellent podcast that you put out every week. It never lasts more than a day in my podcast queue and has been a staple for me since I switched to Linux. Welcome also to all of the new hosts. I am really enjoying the fresh perspectives and energy. While I was a huge fan of both Leo and Moss and will miss their contributions, I feel confident that Midcast is in good hands in the future. I wanted to write because I really enjoyed hearing Joe's thoughts on his experience with the Pine Phone a few episodes back. I have had my Pine Phone for about a year and have enjoyed watching the development of the various systems. Personally, I found Ubuntu Touch, Mobian, and the Manjaro offerings to be the closest to daily use status, but there is obviously still work to be done. However, with Joe having shared his experience in the most recent announcement of the Pine Phone Pro, I felt that I should share the one negative experience that I have had. 
Several months ago, my Bluetooth and Wi-Fi stopped working spontaneously. There was no precipitating event, i.e. dropping the phone. But I can confirm that it is a hardware issue since it persists across several installs. I don't know whether it is just a loose wire or whether the RTL8723CS has just conked out at this stage. I reached out to Pine64 for some assistance and initially I had a reply asking me to run the factory test utility to confirm the hardware issue. However, after this was done, I have received no follow-up response from support. I opened a second and third ticket trying to get a response, but no luck. This has been quite disappointing because all I really need is a simple description of how to find the connection in the phone or a clear answer that I am out of luck. To be clear, I am actually a very big fan of Pine64. I have a Pinebook Pro that I use regularly, several Pine Time watches, and a Pine Power power supply. All of these things are absolutely fantastic products that I would recommend to anyone who likes to tinker. So overall, my view on Pine64 is quite positive. Nevertheless, I thought that I would note that support is not really up to the standards of the design or build quality that we see with Pine64. If you ever wanted to talk Pine64 products in depth in the Telegram group or possibly on the show, then I'd be happy to share my experiences. Looking forward to the next episode. All the best, Dylan B. Couple things I want to say here. Uh, one, why no pine salt? Uh, two, um, I have seen schematics. I don't remember where. I'm pretty sure you can also find a teardown. And um, it looks like the pine phone, once you get it taken apart, is relatively easy to work on. And maybe even the chips are replaceable if you know what you're doing. Um, look around on YouTube, look around for schematics or, or teardowns on the internet somewhere. I don't think it's that hard to take apart and take a look at that, but, um, I'm not certain cause I haven't done it myself. And yeah, I love the pine power power supply and it works really well with the pine soul. You should get like three of them. Anybody else? Interesting. <laughs> Ubuntu touch, uh, getting developed slowly. It's been one of the long-standing Ubuntu variants. Yeah, I think I'm going to try out Ubuntu Plasma, which I don't know if that is the official Ubuntu Touch or not. I'd have to look. And I might reinstall Manjaro again and just see how that goes. Wait, is is there's no Manjaro with the non-Fosh version of Manjaro? No, um, there's Manjaro, Manjaro Plasma. Manjaro Plasma. No. Okay, so it is, is it all part of the Manjaro ARM series? Yeah. Or that is different project? Yeah, it's Man Manjaro ARM. I might be really out of the loop here, but isn't Ubuntu Touch uh, using something that resembles Unity? So is I'm it a sure. fork of Unity? I'm not sure. I'd have to look. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I've still yet to try any Ubuntu based, any Ubuntu distros on phones. I'm still happy with you, my Android device. Do you have the Pine phone? No, I, I don't have any. I I haven't tried any phones with with Android uh, with uh, Linux on it. Well, if we decide to do a Pine64 show, we're definitely going to have to try and get Dylan on, see what his availability is. It's always good to, you know, bring in listeners and let them talk and, you know, I would I love could, to hear his opinion. 
I could do the Pine 64 thing, but I don't have a Pine 64 hardware yet. Has anybody had a chance to uh, mess around with the Pinebook Pro? Nope. No, I haven't. I did I did get a small opportunity on the Pinebook Pro about two years ago at the um, local Linux lug. Somebody got one like right after it came out and I got to sit down with it for a good, you know, five minutes. So obviously I'm an expert. <laughs> I hope you didn't destroy the fellow's setup. No, no, uh, no. I barely got hands on with it. I didn't want to get too attached. How was the five minutes review of the performance? It was very Linuxy. All right, um, I, I'm I'm getting the signal to it's time to move things on. Tony's rushing me here. Um, that is it for our feedback. Um, I hope we get more for the next show. Well, we got good feedback for the show. I hope we get even more feedback for the next show. So let's. Doesn't look like we have anything for check this out. And so we're going to move on to announcements. Our next episode will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, the 31st of October. You can get Mintcast converted to your time zone with the link in the show notes. The next live stream will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Saturday, the 23rd of October. Sorry, I missed last week. I had a friend show up, so I wasn't able to do the stream. Um, get the live stream converted. To, you can get that live stream converted to your time zone as well using the link in the show notes. Can I just say for our European friends... The UK and I think most of Europe will be moving to winter winter time on uh, Sunday the 31st of October. So the show will probably be an hour earlier for, for them because uh, I don't think you move your clocks until first or second week in November, do you, Joe? Something like that. Yeah. Okay, so that means 11.30 IST in the night for me. Right now, it's coming around 12.30. So. If you got to skip a week or two because it's at a poor time, then... No, I'm fine with it. Okay. I'm fine with it. No, I'm just saying that only that's only if your clocks move, uh, Nissan. Do they? Do they move on that day? No, they don't move, but we adjust according to whatever UK... Yeah, but, it, but if your clocks don't move, then the t- time will be the same for you. It's just European clock times are moving that weekend. Until our clocks move. Yeah. Okay, because my shifts are decided according to whenever your clocks like move. One hour before, one hour yeah. later. So that's okay. why I was telling like it will be 11.30. This is all very wibbly-wobbly stuff. all right Uh, i'm really looking forward to whenever if it happens whenever they we will just stop adjusting our clocks (laughs) yeah it would be very it make the world a lot less confusing a place especially in australia this has been joe if you want to hear uh more of me you can catch me on a couple of my other podcasts i'm on tllts.org that's the linux link tech show I'm also on the Linux Lugcast, which you can find at linuxlugcast.com. You can find me on MeWe. You can send me an email directly, jb at mintcast.org, and that's actually my preference. Or uh, there's a link in the show notes to buy me a coffee, and that's on Kofi. And any proceeds from that is either going to go towards coffee 
or cryptocurrency or getting me more electronics to play around with. And then there's um, Bo, who didn't, wasn't able to make the show today. You can find him at undercastnetwork.com or you can search for him on YouTube, his band, um, or the Undercast Collect. The band is Echoes of Savages, right? Correct. And you can find me, Tony, at uh, Hacker Public Radio. I'm uh, Hacker Public Radio correspondent ID338. I'm also on Twitter at TonyH1212, TH at Minkcast.org, and DistroHoppersDigest at gmail.com. And then Josh Hawk, who was also not able to make uh, the show this evening or today. He's at uh, Josh on Tech at mintcast.org at josh on tech on twitter and most other social sites um or you can catch him on crowbar kernel panic okay so you can find me on uh, discord uh ghost.recon uh you can find me on steam if you want to play any games uh, maverick 00783 and on telegram it is Master Chief Rico, if you want to just message and discuss about Linux or get invited to our Mintcast Telegram group. And Norbert, how about you? Hmm. You can catch Norbert at norbert at mintcast.org. And then there's the uh, other, other, oh, other, 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 <laughs> other Josh. You can catch him, JT at mintcast.org. Josh Thacker on Discord and at Metal underscore Foss on Twitter. And then there's also Leo, who you can find at leochavez.org and at Leo Chavez on Twitter and at Leo at C.im on Mastodon, Linux userspace.show or Terminal Tricks. And he also has a link to buy him a coffee in the show notes. Um, before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Owen Peary for audio editing, although I think Bo will be doing it this next time. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website. Hobstar for our logo. And it RD for the animated Discord logo. And Londoner for our time sync. Uh, Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our backup Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. HPR, who no longer has our backup mumble room, so I think I'm going to pull that from the show notes. Okay, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Clem. <laughs> Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mintcast.